What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Woody Woodbeck, and welcome to What's Up, Woody podcast, the podcast that tackles all the things and has real conversations. This week's guest is Derek Gordon. We were all blown away by his bravery when Derek became the first openly gay NCAA Division I basketball player. He's gone on to do some great things and continues to make strides for LGBTQ athletes. Honestly, I just adore the guy, and I'm thrilled to have him on the show. I hope you enjoy this episode, and don't forget to follow us on social media, at Woody Woodbeck and what's underscore up Woody on Instagram, and of course, what's up Woody one on Twitter. For all things this podcast and past episodes, please check out whatsupwoody.com. Here is my conversation with the one and only Derek Gordon. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can't hear you. Perfect. How are you, friend? Let me just turn that on. And I am great. How are you? There he is. What's up, handsome? (laughs) Oh, well, how are you? It's good to see you. Long time no see. It's been forever. Too long. Yes. What's up, everyone? It's Woody Woodbeck. Welcome to another episode of What's Up, Woody. I'm here today with my good friend, Derek Gordon. How are you, my friend? I'm amazing. How are you? You know, I didn't want to come up with some elaborate, over-the-top introduction because I feel like if I introduce you, it'll give away your whole story, and I kind of want the audience to to know you and get to know you. So for those of you, for those of you, that may have heard Derek's name before. He made a lot of headlines um, in 2014 while he was attending UMass uh, to be the first openly out gay um, Division I men's basketball, college basketball player, uh, which to be the first in anything uh, is huge. But to be the first of something on that level um i can only imagine probably had its really good goods and it had its really bad bads so what but before we get to that i do want to talk a little bit about you and i know you're from new jersey and i just want to like tell me a little bit about your backstory how you're raised your sibling like what's your what was your family like uh, my family was great, actually. Uh, we lived in the suburbs in Plainfield, New Jersey. Uh, I would say kind of a pretty rough neighborhood, um, I would say. So um, that's why, you know, and I'll talk more about that later. That's why it was interesting from, you know, being in that kind of rough environment to all of a sudden coming out and I'm gay, you know, it's kind of a bit hard. But, you know, I have two brothers. Uh, one is a twin um, and he's two hours older than me and he always gives me crap about that um but no my parents are very supportive um my mom was a cheerleader um growing up my father played basketball um so it was kind of like a sports family you know if i was sad are your parents still together no no they they recently got divorced it's it's a lot easier to deal with it now of course Mm -hmm. because i'm older but they recently got divorced about five years ago so okay was when when you were um when you think about your upbringing how would you say your your family's like lifestyle was were you guys lower class were you middle class and like what when did basketball come or were you upper class were you when did basketball come into the picture um as a kid or a teenager right i would say we were 
honestly, right in between middle, lower, like that sweet spot right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so for me, it was, yeah, the more I look at it now, you know, there were definitely times where um, struggling, you know, as far as the food and everything like that, um, which is pretty rough back then, the more I think about it, but, you know, made me who I am today. Um and what was that second part of the question that you asked? When did basketball come into the picture? Oh, my father put basketball in my hands ever since I was like three, four years old. Uh, you know, bouncing little tiny rubber ball in the backyard and all throughout the house. And um, my father used to take um, me and my two brothers to go watch him play at the rec center, uh, which was always pretty cool. And I always used to try to idolize my father's moves on the sideline with my brother. So practically my whole life, um, I've been playing. Yeah. I was sad. What, um, how would you describe your relationship with your dad growing up? It was good. Uh, I'm much more closer to my mom. Um, I don't know why that is. It's just, that's how it is. Uh, but my father, I mean, we're very close, um, still to this. I mean, nothing has changed from, I would say when I was little, to, you know, now is still kind of like the same. I still feel I don't I'm sure I'm not the only one. Um, there's always the awkward pauses that I have. And it's just because we're just we're close, but it's not like how I am with me and my mom. Me and my mom, we talk about a lot of things, but with my father is just, yeah, how you doing? What's going on? Whatever, you know, just a casual conversation. You know. You know, uh, I'm sure growing up and, you know, having that level of and how I envision it, you can tell me anytime that I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You know, uh, sports can be the backbone and was the backbone even when I was growing up of this level of masculinity. Like you are a boy, you have to play sports and that for me was never an option because I was a fat kid. So like we, I didn't sports. I ran like place was on fire when somebody tried to make me do anything sports related, but I I can imagine that growing up with a father who also played basketball, that was probably really ingrained in you at such a young age. So how from that and learning from your dad, when did your personal passion start to kick in for it? Because obviously You know, I think there are times and you can tell me what your story is. I think there are times where we see, you know, the father figure, they have these dreams for their kids. Right. And maybe sometimes it's them living out their dream through their kids. Uh, And was there ever a time where you felt that you didn't have that passion for basketball and maybe you were just doing it to appease your family or your parents or your dad for that matter? Uh, I tried a number of sports, actually. Um, believe it or not, I was in, uh, well, it's not a sport, but, you know, I did things way before I really got into sports. Like I did drama class, which I was the only boy in drama class, which honestly not. I'm surprised I'm t- saying this because no one knows about this. Um, but I was in drama class and, you know, I played football. I played baseball. Uh, I could have been a really great baseball player. Um, if I would have stayed with it. But when I played basketball, I was so much taller than everyone else. Um, and it became so natural. And I remember my parents were like, oh, you can only pick one. So what is it going to be? You know, it wasn't like one of those things where, all right, you know, I play 
um, basketball and then, you know, transfer over, play football. And I could only pick one. And I just felt basketball at that time was just something I enjoyed. And like I said, back then, you know, in middle school and growing up, I was just a lot taller than everyone. So it almost somewhat became, yeah, just a lot easier than those other sports. Would there be anything that you would have changed about growing up or the directions that you went in? Was there ever anything that maybe you're, you know, you were like, you wanted to try, but you didn't speak up for yourself or you didn't try or were your, was your family and your parents like super supportive of whatever you wanted to do? Yeah, they were supportive. I, I felt like if I would have tried, cause I love soccer. Um, I felt that I could have been a really great, so I guess because of where I grew up at, it wasn't a thing. Um, except for, you know, in middle school, the Hispanic kids were always playing. So it, it was, I didn't go, go over to play with them because it'll always look like awkward, you know, to other mm-hmm. people that why he playing soccer. So that would be the only thing I wouldn't say change, just something I wish I would have at least tried just to see, you know, what would have happened. And, um, but I, I get asked that question as far as, would I change anything? And for me, you know, especially what I look at where I'm at right now in life, there isn't anything. Cause if you change one little thing, it could dictate everything that has happened, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, I, I, I'm glad everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. Like my father never, he wasn't that father that tried to, in a sense, live out through me or my brothers playing basketball. It was more like, he never looked at the NBA. That's the thing about my father. He never, you know, said, oh, yeah. Was, yeah, was that him. because it was out of his sights? Like, did he just not think that um, he could ever obtain that? Or, you know, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why me and him had a falling out. Um, because I just felt that my mom was always supportive. My mom, to this day, is like, yeah, you know, whatever you put your mind to, you know, you can accomplish it. I guess my father was more playing it safe you know, always have a backup plan. And so I, I, don't, I don't fault him for going about it um, that way. I just feel that I didn't get that sense of he believed in me that I can, you know, make this happen type of thing. And um, so he never, yeah, like said, oh, yeah, you know, do this. You're going to make the NBA, whatever, whatever. And, you know, for him, it was always, what are you going to study in college? What are you going to? You know, what do you want to be when you grow up outside of basketball? You know, uh, so it was, he was a lot different than how other fathers usually are. But I think nowadays, you know, I would the more I look back at it, you know, you should have a backup plan, you know. So that's why I don't fault him for what he says. It's like pros and cons to what he says. You know, it's, now that I look back at it and I'm not playing anymore, it's like, OK, I understand what he was saying. I've known a lot of friends especially growing up who had big dreams to play professional sports, you know, everyone wanted to be, uh, when I was growing up, it was, you know, football players wanted to be Lawrence Taylor, Taylor. Yes. No, I'm saying that Mm -hmm. completely wrong from the giants. And, you know, like there was, there was a lot of that. I mean, I'm a huge football fan. I can't believe I spaced. I want to call it, say Lawrence Thomas, but I don't think that's, that's, that's that's on his name. LT. That's what they used to call him. Um, But, you know, I think that there becomes a time where the the reality starts to set in the physicality of playing a sport your entire life. Yeah. 
And also the reality is that like, what is it? Less than 3% of people that set out to play sports professionally actually play them. I think it's something like that. It's very minimal amount. Was there ever a time where you felt like you were dedicating too much time to something that maybe wasn't going to happen as you were growing up? We'll talk about it when you hit college, but as Uh, you were growing up. No, actually, because growing up, I was... Probably when I got to seventh, eighth grade, I started to make a name for myself on the national level. And, you know, I remember, so they have a thing called AAU basketball where, you know, travel mm-hmm. around, play in different states and compete. And, you know, you play in front of college coaches. Um, but my name was always getting buzzed around as definitely one of the top uh, players in New Jersey. Um, at the time, I believe I was top five in my class at the time in New Jersey mm-hmm. and, you know, in, in the country, that's when, you know, my name was getting buzzed. So when that stuff started to happen, I was just thinking, Oh yeah. You know, I never looked at the percentages um, back then. I was just like, I can do it. You know, it, there was never a doubt in my mind. You know, the only thing that I was thinking about was just getting my foot in the door and then letting my game just take care of itself. But I never was looking at, oh, this player is better than me, that player is better than me, none of those things. Um, you know, so, yeah, that's that's that was my mentality growing up. And then, you know, my father comes on and says, you know, don't think so. I, I mean, he he was doing those things, which I'm happy about because it was keeping me level at it, you know, um, not letting me get too high on myself about my ranking and things like that. Just, um, just always kept like, yeah, just keep it level. So now you grew up in a place called Plainville, New Jersey. Plainville. Plainville. So what was that like? What was what was the the people that lived there and what was the vibe like? Because there are parts of New Jersey that are very different. (laughs) So I wondered, I wonder, you know, was it like inner city vibe or was it something much different than that? It was, you know, I guess we me and my family, we didn't live directly in like, you know, as people would say, like the bad neighborhoods. We didn't like there was so in Plainfield, there was a thing called the East End and the West End of Plainfield. The West End was known for being bad and the East End was known for. Yeah, there's never any drama or anything happening over there. So I lived on the East End. But, you know, the people who I went to school with, a couple of them, a lot of them lived on the West End and. You know, this is something that I talk about in my book that I have coming out um, that, you know, there was a time in middle school. There was almost like a thing between Hispanics and black people. Um, Like so there was almost like I was I had to, like, try my hardest to focus on basketball. But at the same time, I had to, you know, in a sense, always watch where I was going you know, that's how, in a sense, bad it was between Hispanics and Blacks when I was in middle school growing up. So um not saying, you know, I could have easily avoid, remove my, myself from the situation, which I did as it got to the point of when it come to high school. Um, but at that time in middle school, it was just it was one of those things where, yes, I was thinking about basketball, but at the same time, it was more of, you know, making sure that I was, you know, had my friends back at the time if they got into a fight or something like that so it was kind of like i was you know it was a good side and a bad side of what i was living back then so are both of your parents black Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, and, and uh, so your brothers are all your real brothers, not half siblings or anything like that. So y'all were raised together. Yes. Were your siblings into sports as well or no? Yeah. 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 My, uh, my twin, my twin brother, he played basketball as well. And it's also my older brother. Did, so yeah, we all played basketball. Now, when you get to high school, because high school is when things really start to stick out, especially if you're and because I feel like college recruiters start real early, especially when it comes to college basketball. So when did you start to realize, oh, shit, I actually could be really good at this and maybe I could go to college and play ball? When, when did you have that? And what was that realization? And how, and truthfully, how did your work ethic develop or change based on that revelation? Um, but the feedback that I was getting in eighth grade, I knew it wasn't a matter of, oh, yeah, if I'm going to go to college or not. It was a matter of which college I was going to go to. Because I knew the buzz that I was getting, I was going to mm-hmm. go somewhere. Got it was it. just going to depend on me which level was it going to be division one division two so i made a choice of not to go to playing for high school which was the local school and i went to st patrick's which is a catholic private school but at the time um was known for being the number one um basketball team in the country for you know years and years and years so for me i was like okay well this is also another thing for me to do to go to a school where they play on ESPN, you know, so I can get my name out there. Um, but it's an interesting story that happened my freshman year. I was, so when they, um, so when I got a, um, cause you have to get tuition for people, you know, um, people to pay for your tuition to go. So when that, all of that stuff happened and I came to realize that they wasn't putting me on a varsity, they was putting me on JV. And it made me think in the back of my mind, well, the guy, the coach I had playing for high school at the time was trying to give it all for me just to come there and start varsity my freshman year. So in my mind, that was always a big thing, like starting, starting. So I looked at it as, oh, no, I'm going back to playing field. So literally, my mom had my transcripts, went to playing for high school. The computers, for whatever reason, were not working that day. So... Later that night, I ended up talking to one of the assistant coaches from St. Pat's. He ended up convincing me to come back. And then literally that next day, the computer started working again. So it was not meant for me to go to the playing for high school. Um, but I would say freshman year, freshman year, because that's when I started to get offers from Big East schools. And um, so I knew that, yeah, I was going to go to college and, you know, my parents weren't going to have to pay. It was just a matter of, yeah, which level that I was going to go to. And then I realized that, wow, you know, pretty good, you know, but it just made me, I wanted to be the best I can be, best I can be. So I just, you know, just stayed on the grind. My level of working out never changed. It stayed the same. You know, I always work hard in whatever I do. Now, In high school, you start to obviously get some credentials behind you and people start paying attention. What was that? What did that what does that pressure feel like? Because when I think about it in my mind, I know how tough high school was for me just figuring out and discovering who I was. Then to have an added pressure of 
okay, I got to show up and show out every time I'm on that court Mm -hmm. because you're already thinking, even let's say you're in freshman year, you're already thinking four years ahead. You're having to think four years ahead. You're having to condition yourself to be ready for four years ahead when you do go to college basketball. So like what kind of pressure or mental battle did you experience during that time? Because I imagine that's you probably internalized a lot, which is probably why you came out later. And we'll we'll discuss that. But I imagine that the pressure of ball probably took its toll on you for some part of your life. As far as like, Like, uh, well, when you're developing and you're becoming who you want to be, especially in our teen years, where the where that's when we're really building who we are as people are you talking about basketball or sexual i'm talking about i'm talking about you as a person did you feel like that took a back seat because you knew you had to apply yourself in a certain way for basketball i wasn't really thinking about that back then honestly Mm -hmm. i was so caught up in so my freshman year especially at that school every practice there would be Literally, and we had a small gym at the time. There would be so many like college coaches sitting up against the wall. And I remember like it was yesterday or Roy Williams from UNC was there and um, Tom Izzo from Michigan State. And just like my freshman year, like playing in front of all these coaches. And um, I remember at the time we had a guy, uh, Dexter Strickland, who ended up going to UNC and Kyrie Irving, who also went to St. Patrick's as well, and Michael Gilchrist, who played in the NBA too. So for me, it was more, I was just in like, I was enjoying everything. And I always, I, I knew that there was never going to be a time where, oh, like I mentioned before, like, am I going to go to college or not? It, it was all going to dictate how well I played. And I've looked at it as I just got to stay in the gym as much as possible. And had to where the point I had the luxury to where I can pick whatever school I want to go to. Um, but there was never no added pressure, uh, especially when I was young back then. So for me, I was just staying in the moment, I would say. Yeah, you were loving. You were love. You loved what you were doing because you enjoyed it. Yeah. It brought you a lot of happiness, I'm sure. Yeah. So there was never, yeah, never no pressure or anything like that. You know, when I watched um, the Colin Kaepernick scripted show that Ava DuVernay did with Colin for Netflix, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's it's loosely based on his life. And, and I saw this dedication that not only he put in through pretty formidable years of growing into a young man and also his family. Did, do you think, was there ever a point in time where, you know, your thought of was there ever a time where you thought maybe this isn't what I want to do? Oh, uh, as far as basketball. Yeah. No, cause I, you know, basketball, that's all I lived and breathed at that time. So especially playing for one of the top high schools in the country, it was like, there's nothing else I would rather be doing. I, you know, I, I remember a specific promise I made to my mom. And, you know, I just told my mom, I said, regardless of, you know, whether I play professional or not, I just want to take care of my family. You know, that that's the most important thing, um, you know. And at that time, I thought it was going to be through basketball. I thought it was going to be 
yeah, I'm going to make the NBA, whatever it may be. And this was way before all the coming out stuff and everything like that. And even before I even knew that I was gay. So that was my mental approach to why I was playing basketball and doing what I was doing. Cause I knew the situation that, you know, me and my family was in at that time. And I wanted to, you know, make it better. for them. Now, when you, <laughs> okay, now I don't, fo- I don't follow too much college basketball, but I will tell you growing up, my family, on my mom's side of the family, my family on the East coast, they swore by NCAA. My brother still is a huge Tar Heels fan. And like, just that's all he talks about. It's And he's four years younger than me. And still to this day, goes and sees games. And so I grew up knowing about college basketball because of him. And we were big UConn fans. Mm-hmm. We were, we were, our family was actually friends with like the Rebecca Lobos of the days, the girls team when they were at their prime right. guys team, when they're at their prime, remember there was those years of like, just, they won every championship. Right. And so I know the names that are always in those brackets. And right. we're talking about some of the teams that you went and played for are those teams. Right. So what were you thinking when, okay, when you had to make a decision on where you wanted to go, how many offers were on the table? So I committed, usually people wait till the end of, or not the end, but before the season starts at a senior year, that's when people usually commit. But there was a, a situation that happened where my older, older brother, Mike, went to Binghamton University, which is in upstate New York. There was an assistant coach who got the head coaching. He was the assistant coach, but he got the assistant coaching job at Western Kentucky University. So I remember they reached out to me, and I never was thinking of going to any mid-major. Like, for me, it was all like I want to go to a high major. Um, You know, and I remember, for whatever reason, I really, really wanted to go to Virginia Tech. So – I remember going on a visit to Western Kentucky, and this was my first college visit, and just fell in love with the campus, fell in love with the coaches, and this was I was just like, this is it. This is where I want to be. So I literally committed. Like, I had offers coming in at that time, but if I would have waited, Yeah, sky's the limit if I would have waited. But when they offered me Western Kentucky, I looked at it as this was a family thing because my, you know, the assistant coach and how he was with my family and everything when my brother was playing. I went there based off of that and because of, oh, you know, for whatever reason, I like going to underdog schools and like, you know, being the one to big, beat the bigger schools. So when I went there, it was a shock for everybody because a lot of people are like, it's the end of his sophomore year. He still has two more years left for high school. Why is he verbally committing to a, a mid-major school when At he had high major programs mm-hmm. like wanting him? And there were teams that were still trying to um, get me at that time. I remember, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you know Austin Rivers, mm-hmm. um, Doc Rivers' son. Mm-hmm. He, uh, there was a tournament in Florida. And, you know, the first game, and this was when I was committed, the beginning of my junior year, and I had 37 points my first game. And everybody was going crazy, and everybody was um, saying, why is he going to Western Kentucky? I was this close from, of course, 
decommitting from Western, but yeah, I stuck it out. Uh, so yeah, I ended up <laughs> committing the end of my sophomore year and decided to play with them. My letter of intent, my senior year. So was there ever was there ever a point where you're like, oh fuck, what did I do? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, because of course, like that's how it's gonna be on your first visit. They're gonna treat you, you know, they're gonna roll out the red carpet for you, and you know, and that's what they did. And you know, so I looked at it as like, wow, like they love me here, this and that, like this is the perfect school, da da. And but I I can go back to say what I said before. If I would have not going to Western, it probably would have dictated where I am today. Not in a bad way, just, you know, everything that led up to where I am today probably wouldn't have happened the way it happened. So it's if, like, you, if you hadn't had picked it, where would you have gone? Was there anywhere else you wanted to go? I would have waited to, because at that time, they was the, I remember they was the first offer. No, yeah, there was the first offer, but a lot of teams, they were interested, but they was like, we're going to wait. But a lot of people weren't expecting me to blow up the way I did my junior and senior year. So um, when I blew up my junior and senior year, that's when teams were trying to get me to decommit and everything. And, yeah, it it was, you know, I was definitely fighting that. I'm not going to lie. I'm human. Um, But I I just I stuck it out, you know, and I stayed with them. When you go off. To, so you graduate high school. What was your senior year like? Oh, it was the best. Uh, we actually had a time we did a HBO documentary called Prayer for a Perfect Season, which followed me and one of my other teammates, Michael Gilchrist, who ended up committing to Kentucky. And they just follow us the whole season. Literally, I remember we'll wake up and there will be cameras. Like When did, when did that air? Uh, air 20... The fall of 2011. Wow. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what are, what actually what still a, on HBO Max, if I'm not mistaken. What a remarkable thing to be a part of. Yeah. they. I would wake up and the cameras would be right there. <laughs> it, was, it was a cool experience. And like I said, we were the number one team in the country at that time. And they just followed us around everywhere. But yeah, every time I would watch that, I would just think of, man, if I would have just waited to my senior year um, to commit how, how crazy it would have been. Um, yeah. So and, and that's the only thing I would take back. I, I would, yeah, do over is, yeah, even if I did decide to go to Western, at least I would have just waited to my senior year just to see what would have happened, you know, um, what offers would have came through and all of those things. So did you, um, when you look back on that year and were you, what, where was it in that timeline? And we'll get more into coming out and that, where was it in this hyper masculine world? Did you start to realize that you might be attracted to men? Uh, or was it earlier on? Earlier on, um, this is something that I'm going to give you also a snippet that's in my book. Uh, the first attractive guy I came across was when I was in elementary school and he was a gym teacher. Okay. Um, 
and I don't know what it was. He was he was a probably in his early forties, white guy in shape, typical like gym teacher. Um, and I don't know. It was just elementary school. I'm just thinking like this is probably just a phase, you know. Um, but I just kept asking myself like, why do I keep looking at him? <laughs> Yeah, so I, it, start, it, it started to creep in, yeah, elementary school as far as, you know, just looking at. And it wasn't just all guys. It was either gym teachers or my teachers, whatever, older guys, really. It never was like my peers, my, my classmates or anything. It was, for whatever reason, older guys. And, I, you know, people ask me to this day, why am I attracted to older guys? And. I don't even honestly know. It's just because I always give credit when credit is due. If someone is handsome, they're handsome. But sure. I think that time period of when I saw my gym teacher and that look that he had, it was just like it was everything at that time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get it. I get it. We'll get there. I have plenty of questions for that. I've seen some of your ex-boyfriends. I know. <laughs> um, so you go off to college and you're going to play at Western Kentucky when, so there was a pretty abrupt leave from Western Kentucky, correct? And why did you, what led to that? To what? Leaving Western? You, yeah. You left Western and you went somewhere else, right? Yeah. I went to UMass. Right. So what, what ended up happening there that you decided to leave? Because from what I from what I read, and you tell me if I'm wrong, it was kind of a surprise that you left the school, right? No, it wasn't no. for you, but was it for anybody else? Um, well, when I left Western, it was no, nah, because none of my teammates they all knew. Like I okay. remember okay. going to the conference tournament and telling them, like, "Hey, listen, guys, because we just had a coaching change." The head coach at that time was the reason why I went there. So when they fired him, I remember literally the coach calling my phone and I'm asleep, but I ain't see it till when I woke up and he was like, DG, they just locked me out of my office. Da, 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 da. And at the time I'm a freshman, but I was like so-called the head guy as far as like the big man on campus, they would say. Um, so at the time, I'm like, what does he want me to do? I'm just... <laughs> I guess if I would have talked to the director and said, you know, give him another shot, whatever, they would have let him. The more I think about it, I just didn't want to get in the middle of that. But the more I think about it, I should have. Yeah, that would have been a little so, bit of a mess. I'm um, sure. But him leaving was definitely, definitely affected. The reason why I left and the coach who got the job at the time was the assistant coach. And when he got the head coaching job, he changed like that and I didn't like that and it was just a lot of things that he was saying behind my back that I was finding out and how I'm not a good kid and all of this stuff and um I was just like I can't be part of something like that you know that so, sounds like a mess yeah it was it was a lot a lot of drama a lot of drama mm -hmm. so you go to UMass what was your experience at UMass like it's great I mean come to find out even before at that time I even thought about coming out they had a, a LGBTQ center on campus. So seeing those things, it just made me realize, oh, I'm not alone. Because at that time, especially when you're struggling back then with your sexuality, you don't know who else is, you know, going through what you're going through. So um, going to UMass was great. The coaches were great at that time. My teammates were great at that time. 
Um, of course, things happened um, that led me to transfer in there as well. But initially, when I first got there, it was great. So, so you're there. It's 2014, right? Mm-hmm. And you're playing at UMass. And what was it? Because this is the gear that you decide to come out. And you're doing exceptionally well, right? Mm-hmm. Having a good season or you had a good season. I wasn't sure. I kind of forgot where the timeline was of when you came out. Was it after or during your season? It was after. It was, it was after your season. Yeah. Right. So you, you just had lost a Tennessee and a tournament. And then, yeah. Was, but you had some... still had a pretty good season. You had come off yeah. a good season. Yeah. Because people were still talking about you even before this year coming out right right Mm -hmm. so what was it was there a certain instance or something happened that you decided to be like all right um, i gotta live my truth at this time and talk about this yeah i remember like it was yesterday uh two incidents that happened the second incident kind of pushed me more forward to do it but the first one was my partner at that time um and here's here's what the thing they changed it up on Instagram. But on Instagram years ago, you could see the people who you're following. You can see what pictures they like. They don't have that feature anymore. Um, so me and my ex, we took a picture and <laughs> I liked it. The picture on his page. I liked it. So one of my teammates called me one day and he was they said, DG, are you OK? I'm like, yeah, what do you mean? I'm good. Like, nah, just check it in. Are you all right? I'm like, I said, yes. What are you talking about? And he said, I'm going to call you back. I'm going to send you something. And he sent the screenshot of, like, a picture of my arm around my boyfriend at the time outside of the club. And I immediately texted him back. I was like, nah, you know, he he's just a fan. You know, he was uh, – he knew me from St. Patrick's when I played in high school, and, you know, he just wanted to take a picture, whatever. So – I think they didn't think anything of it. But the second time I was out at the club and I'm dancing on the dance floor, and my phone rings and I look at it and it's one of my teammates. And it's like 1130 at night. I'm like, why is my teammate calling me right now? And I pick up and they said, DG, uh, where you at? And I said, I'm out at the club. He said, which club? I said, Club Paradise. And I could hear people like laughing in the background and the phone hung up. So I was like, oh, my gosh, I start freaking out. And I remember there were girls. There happened to be girls at the club that time. And I literally just went over to them. said, can I take a picture with y'all, too? Like, to try to, like, make it seem that I'm, like, you know, at a straight club, whatever. That right. didn't work. But when I got back to campus, like, they were just, like, teasing me right from the jump. Like, they were saying little things here and there. And, you know, at that time, you know, I'm, I never let anybody – you know, as far as like, what's the best way to say it? Like, it's rare that someone says something to me and it says disrespectful and I don't say anything back. Like, hey, what did you say? to It was more I had to take it almost because it's like I can't admit to it. So I was like, what am I going to say? And it just got to the point. It was just it was a lot. And I remember being on the phone with my mom and she asked me, how was I doing? Like, is everything okay at school? Da, da, da. And I said, yeah, everything is great when I was struggling. And I remember as soon as I got off the phone with her, I just started crying. And I just said, something has to change. And that's when I remember um, 
just doing some research and I came across You Can Play um, project, um, which uh, at the time, uh, I know Wade Davis is part of it, Billy Bean, um, Jason Collins, um, and a couple people. And, you know, so they, I reached out to them. I told them, you know, my situation and everything. And then that's when they got me involved with Jason Collins. And that's how it, you know, all started. From them, like, teasing me. It, in a way, it's pros and cons. They helped me, in a way. Because if that never would have happened, I would have still been in the closet. So they kind of, like, just pushed me along, you know. Even if it wasn't the right way, they helped me, you know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we have seen that happen time and time again, especially the people who are known in some capacity and whatever stance. Um, mm -hmm. Those secrets start to blur the lines with reality and people form their own assumptions and kind of end up forcing people to come out whether they're ready or not. Um, you right. know, I, I know that happened with my good friend, Lance Bass, you know, when he was mm -hmm. still in the closet and figuring things out and he got pictures taken him at a club and they were, you know, put on a website and, you know, I think unfortunately that happened, I think with Jonathan Knight too, from new kids on the block, you know, I don't think that that's fair. I understand that it is part of your journey and your story. And I appreciate you for taking that wrong that everyone else did and turning into something positive, you know, it's not right. it's but, not right no, but I, I do think, and I do have a very large sense of compassion when, especially young people are forced into situations like that. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. You know, like, mm -hmm. I don't, I, you know, like we all come to that crossroads in our life when, when we're meant to, you know, and right. some people are later, some people are sooner. I mean, there's kids these days that are proclaiming their sexual, you know, gender identities and things at like 12 and 13. Right. And I'm just like, I wish I could have right. ever have come to that comfortability with myself at that kind of age, you know? Yeah. And um, so I, I do have a level of compassion knowing that probably in some ways that was pretty hard, I'm sure. Yeah, big time it was. It was. It got to the point it was either I was going to leave basketball. I never, ever thought of, like, suicide. That never crossed my mind. I, and I'm very happy, you know, that it never got to that point. And, you know, because I just have very thick skin. And the more I looked at it, I just said, I'm not going to let them win, you know. And, but it is definitely, you know, the more I look at it, it's people nowadays where they – can't take that, you know, people harassing them on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, I took it, you know, and like I said, it was like to the point that I'm going to leave basketball or I have to come out. And I said, you know what, I'm not leaving basketball. I've been doing this my whole life up until this point. So let me figure out a way and a process of how to go about coming out. And, you know, because it, it, it was, you know, Martin, it was very depressing. You know, mm -hmm. and like I said, it's, it's no one should ever, we live in such a society till, still to this day where people are so focused on what a person likes. And, you know, and it's, it's just like, why does that even matter? It's 2022. I remember talking about stuff like this after I came out and everything. And it's like the fact that we're still having these conversations eight years later, 
it just it, it baffles me that like wow like how people are so caught up and worrying about what the other person likes yeah it's it's wild that it's been eight years for you huh yeah yeah it seemed like yeah. it was yesterday I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I actually, you know, I was, I was saying, and I meant to bring this up earlier, but today, ironically, you and I are taping this on national coming out day um, today. And uh, you know, I was just reading online at the NFL NFL just donated another hundred thousand dollars and posted about taking a stance with LGBTQ players and are standing by allies. And, you know, a lot of organizations over the years and big businesses have come up and stepped up. I mean, look, I'm wearing a North face hoodie that has, you know, the LGBTQIA flag on it. And, uh, you know, we see that more and more. So when you decided to take that step, what was that hubbub like? Because I can only imagine when you become, like I said earlier, the first of anything, when you are it an happened. active player, yeah, when it happened and it uh, hit the, it hit headlines, what was that like? And then remind me, because I want to tell you my, my story, because I remember when this happened. Right. I was when in this class. Was- um, I remember being in class and I remember just getting a text and you know, it's different in college. You can sit there and be on your phone all day if you want, and they won't do anything. They won't do anything. So I remember seeing a message and it just said, it's on, it's live now. Because it was pre-recorded, the interview. And I did it with Kate Fagan, who's, she's amazing. And it probably was 30 seconds later after I got that message. It was almost as if everyone was watching ESPN that day. And my phone just starts blowing up. Like, wow, like, congratulations. Like, I'm so happy for you and this and that. And, of course, there were a lot of people who um, who I haven't heard from since that day. Uh, but it, if I could do it every day, I would. The amount of love that I received from so many people, still to this day I do, is, is so incredible. Um, and this throws no shade or anything towards the straight community but i love being gay like uh you know there's nothing that i would i would change around and you know the amount of media attention i got you know i remember i couldn't even stay on campus that day they put me up somewhere else just because of how crazy it was in a great way um i remember hearing from tyra banks anderson cooper just a lot of people and it was just like wow like I'm just on cloud nine and just, yeah, it was just, if I could experience that moment every day of coming out, I, I would, if I had one way to do that. And that's just, cause like I said, it's, it's a point of going from being depressed to free, you know, and that's what it was. Like I didn't have to worry about or hide who I was. I didn't have to sneak around anymore. Cause that's what I was doing when I was, at UMass, you know, on Scruff and Grinder and all of that stuff, you know, sneaking around, trying to meet up with these guys and let alone trying to bring guys to my apartment. Um, I didn't have to worry about doing that after the fact. So it was just a sense of relief and joy. And not just for me, knowing that I helped a lot of people, because there were also a lot of people who reached out to me and said, wow, if I didn't hear your story just now, I probably would have killed myself. Mm-hmm. So it's for me, that's one of the reasons why I did it, and not just for me, but also I know that I help others out there who are struggling. Right. What, um, 
You know what I really want to ask you was, do you think the response would have been different or was different because you are black? I think it would have been the same. I mean, look at our Carl Nassib. He played in the NFL. I don't even know if he's on the team. He is. He's playing for the Bucks. Oh, so he did get signed. Okay, sure did. Yeah, he's playing with my boy Brady. Because I know he was. I know people were like saying he didn't get signed for a while. So I was like, oh my gosh, I hope he doesn't. Something doesn't happen to him. But no, I think it's, you know, well, I I think think I get. I get. Let me rephrase my question. So I think that the my thought is is usually minorities especially in the sports world mm-hmm. tend to have a more adverse reaction when somebody it comes out of the closet and oh, they're like yeah. you know i guess that's what i mean like do you feel like it would have been different or it could have been different or do you feel like those people that didn't talk to you didn't talk to you because you were one of the homies and like now all of a sudden you're to them you're not oh yeah for sure i mean it's i think you know especially because i didn't like if no one knows my story or anything and i'm just walking down the street you would never know so especially back then you know when i did hit the fan like i i told one or two people so literally my friend they didn't even know um so it kind of caught people off guard but not all my friends like disappeared. Like there are a lot of them who, oh, it doesn't matter. I still love you no matter what. Um, but I think, yeah, there's a perception of being in sports, masculine, there's rah-rah type of guy. And it's like, it's a lot of people out there who are gay, especially in the sports world. A lot of people who are gay, you just won't, you would never know. Like right. if I never would have came out, no one would never know. You know, mm. so it's like I'm no different than that person. I just happen to, you know, come out and live my truth. But I think, yeah, there's no, really not a difference. It's just, you know, I just happen to be playing sports. You know, yeah, and, and I, go ahead. No, I was just going. The last thing I was going to say, yeah, because I people always tell me as far as when they came out and they don't play sports, and I say, listen, my story. Is no different than anyone. You know, I just happened to still actively be playing college basketball. And I was the first one. So that's the only reason why it was a big deal. If I didn't play basketball or anything, I would be, you know, but I feel everyone's story, no matter sports, working at a bank, when you come out, it's a big deal. You know, um, I, like I said, I just happened to yeah, be playing sports at that time. Yeah, I think a lot of the times when we come out, we build up uh, the whole scenario in our minds. You know, like I I remember thinking about it over and over and over again for years. I had told a handful of people here and there growing up. And, you know, the thing was, is I didn't want to proclaim anything because I didn't even know what I was. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know what meant to be gay and i definitely sure. didn't have parents that explained it to me and my examples thankfully were from my best friends at the time my best friend brie whose mom watched a show on showtime called queer as folk and you know was like maybe you should watch a show you know and like things like that that helped <laughs> me realize oh shit 
okay, there are people like me. I do exist. This mm. isn't so weird. And, yeah. you know, I talked about this recently with my friend Jay Rodriguez, uh, who was in the part of the original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, and he's in the movie Bros. And, you know, I came out on the radio in New York where I was, and it was a big deal at that time. And it was a huge deal. And it's actually 20 years ago this year that um, I came out. And I look back on that journey and I knew on my level of what a big deal it was because people weren't doing it back then. So that was in 2002. So cut to, you know, 2014 when you came out, obviously a lot changed, Um, but you were still facing a lot of the same problems, you know, and I, and I um, think about that often about how similar a password, but also totally different in a way, because, I know for me, I had faggot notes left on my car. Right. You know, I had those moments of like, all right, you know, I told my family one day and I was on air coming out the next day and I didn't get, give my family a chance to, (laughs) to get on the train. You know, I was kind of like, Hey, here's your first class ticket. Get on, buckle up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm sure that that probably in some ways had some kind of profound impact on you when you started to hear from people and people your age. And I'm sure you probably hear of people that you can't even talk about. Maybe people that are still in the closet. What kind of impact did that have on you? You know, and re and did you realize, holy shit, what I did was pretty monumental? No, at that time when I came out, it was more I was just looking at it as I didn't look at it as it was gonna be that to that magnitude. I was just like, okay, I'm coming out. It's gonna be a story, but it's not gonna be that crazy until the number of messages that I was getting, and you know, um, I could say the team, but I'm not going to say it. I don't even know if he still plays for that team, but it was somebody from the Cowboys that reached out to me. And um, I didn't think at that time when I was having the conversation, I was just like, oh, this is just a conversation. But the more I look back at it now, the effect and the impact that I had on people, it was like, wow, okay, this is a big deal. To the point people in China was doing like school projects on me and this and that, and it was just like, all right, like, I need to just, like, take a moment to, like, take all of this in and really realize that I'm sure not only I'll inspire people, but also save people's lives, and, you know, even still to this day, it still happens, you know, people still reach out to me because they seen my TED Talk on YouTube that I did a couple days after I came out, or, you know, or because they just happened to run across my story um, and the fact that this was eight years ago and I still have this impact on people's lives is just, it's incredible. And like I said, I'm, for me, I'm all about helping people. I love helping people and in any way I could. And um, April 12th will always hold, you know, a special day for me, mm. always. I'm sure. I'm sure I can understand that. You know, after coming out, you was it was it right after you came out that there was the Westboro Church protested right didn't they do something yeah. and there was they like a big to. yeah tell tell me a little about what what that was about because you had a, like a shit ton of people showed up in support of you for that whole yeah. situation right yeah practically the, i'm not going to say the entire school um but it was at least ten thousand 
students or whatever. Um, and it was, I never even, I guess they reached out to me on Twitter. And then I guess when they added me on Twitter, people saw it. So people like blew it up immediately. And then they kept saying, oh, how are we going to come to UMass, this and that? And when I tell you, it was probably like five of them. And they were just like holding up signs. And it was literally like to the 10,000 students on the other side. And they just stayed right there. It was honestly just, I think it was them just trying to get attention because the way that they were speaking as if like it was going to be loads of them. Like they didn't even want me on campus that day when that stuff yeah. was going to they well, Probably for your it, own safety, really. Yeah. So yeah. they actually had it down as far as you know, the date they were going to be there and everything like that. So when they came, yeah, I remember seeing pictures and it was like five of them. It was like a little kid. And, you know, it's sad because, you know, I I look at it this way. People, like, they are who they are as far as, like, what they learn from as far as maybe it's from their parents, whatever like that may be. Um, and the fact that, you know, seeing that little kid in that picture you already imprinted in his mind to not like a certain group of people. Sure. And it's just, it made me realize like where these things come from in certain people and why they act the way they act. And, you know, maybe it's not all from, you know, how they were, how they grew up, but a lot of the time it is. And, you know, the fact that, you know, you already implementing that into your child's mind to not like these people, it's just, it's sad to see. Um, but yeah, who knows how many times that is happening, you know, all throughout this world, as far as like little kids are getting treated a certain way or not even that they have these camps. I don't know where, but they have these camps where you can go and they supposedly can change you, whatever, yeah, like camps, right. it's almost like really like right. it's, <laughs> I, 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 I I'm I'm laughing in in a sense because I'm it's it's very upsetting, and the fact that people actually think that way that going to certain camps like this is going to change a way a person it's like it's it's absolute nonsense it's disrespectful in my opinion because you don't change you can't just change and say oh I'm gay the next day no you were born this way it's just a matter of time till you figure it out. But there are a lot of people who don't understand that. And a lot of people who feel that, oh, yeah, it's like my parents never told me or said anything about, you know, being gay or anything like that. It was something that I was always on Google trying to find out. That's how I came across Gerald um, and um, Bear City, that movie. And even an actor in uh, Law and Order CSI, who a uh, big time actor who I used to talk to on Facebook. That was all me reaching out. It wasn't anyone holding my hand or my parents holding my hand sure. taking me step by step about this. Mm. No. How? Okay. So I will admit when you came out, I was like, I need to meet him. I want to meet him for two reasons. <laughs> One was, I was like, how incredibly brave because truth be told, following that, it happened more and more. And now mm -hmm. I'm not sure of the timeline, but I know that Jason Collins had come out, I think before you did, then you came out. Uh, and then he, oh, yes. Yeah. And Michael, Michael Sam as well. And 
all of these things started happening and and then it was like Gus and Adam and like you know like it just felt like every other month or you know week there was a professional right. athlete who that became brave and and started speaking out and talking about these things and Robbie and you know I think um you to 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 fall into that class of you know masterclass of these gay athletes it was wild to see because we didn't see it right what was it what was it like for you knowing that you fell kind of in that sweet spot <laughs> and you and you were the first kind of in your in your own league because really nobody else from the ncaa at that time had been out uh i mean honestly the only thing that probably crossed my mind was um why isn't there more of us? Mm-hmm. Cause there's definitely a lot for sure. But I knew that what I was doing was definitely, it hasn't been done before. And I wanted <laughs> going into coming out the story. I wanted to do something. If I was going to do it, I wanted to do something that has never happened. And it just happened to line up perfectly for me where no one actively in college came out that they, while they were still playing, let alone division one. Um, so I knew the impact that I had, but now you, the thought you just saying those names that you just said is like, wow. When you said Robbie, I completely forgot about Robbie. Until yeah, Robbie Rogers, first in soccer. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. completely forgot about him. And uh, I remember his story like it was yesterday. Yeah. You know what's interesting is that I didn't even research any of those. As a gay man, all of those names and those moments in time completely are things that are ingrained on my brain gay people like sports it's okay it's cool and i and i still do to this day and i love sports so i think that their sports leagues are supporting our community in ways that have never been done before to see the nfl to take these exact colors and use them as part of their showing that they're an ally, the NFL, the NBA, that is mind boggling to me to see. I never thought we would see that. I never thought we would see that. And we, and we did now on the other hand, not, I, I manifested wanting to meet you because I met you at, at here lounge one night you were out with you. I think you were dating him at the time. Yeah. Maybe not. Um, yes, you were dating. Yeah. I remember you came to my club and I remember meeting you, but I also want to meet you because I was like, man, that guy's fucking hot. He was fucking hot. I had such a fucking crush that I did not say anything to because I was like, oh, I can't. That's not how you meet somebody. You're like, oh, I can't like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. God, you're fucking hot because that's weird. (laughs) You don't just go up to somebody and like say that. That's fucking weird. (laughs) And I was friends with your boyfriend at the time. So like, that's even weirder. (laughs) I wasn't one of those guys. But I I am sure that you got that a lot. Did you get that a lot? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, back then, I mean, now it's just like, yeah, it still happens. Of course, I mean, you're still hot. Come on, <laughs> I mean, we're not gonna lie. I'm Thank not gonna you. sugarcoat it. Yes, you are just still very cute. You talking about was it? Did it happen? Yeah, when I came, it should happen all the time. I'm sure that your DMs were explosive. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, 
Yeah, people sending all types of crazy stuff and pictures and everything like that. And I definitely was not uh, one of them. I definitely yeah. wasn't. <laughs> I am no standards uh, myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's flattering, but for me, it's almost like I always tell people because I sometimes I respond back to some of them and I say, "The if you really want to get my attention, just of course message me, introduce yourself." say right. whatever like go about it that way to the point where it's like but if you're sending me a picture of this and that <laughs> it's just like uh, that's definitely not going to get my attention um my friends used to joke and say well what do you certainly have a type because i would joke i joked about one i think probably for sure said on some social media platform i was like i'm going to date this guy that right. definitely about you. And then I definitely said about Michael Sam at some point as well. So my friends were like, you definitely have a type <laughs> and made a joke about it often. Um, yeah, right. And he's nice. And then after I met you, I was like, I remember going home and being like, oh, not only is he hot, but he's fucking nice. And he has a fucking boyfriend. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> this is the worst. <laughs> I'm sure you probably crushed for all of people's dreams at that time. <laughs> it was it was a thing when people saw the picture of me and girl kissing yeah. on the red carpet. Like people were that kiss wasn't even supposed to happen. Sure, like, I didn't know back at that time that you know how do you go about it on the red carpet? Like usually when people face each other, it's more of like a look. But you don't necessarily like go kiss. Sure. sure. So, who made the first? Who made that happen? Did, did you or you did? No. I did definitely because I'm. If he would have told me like, all right, we're gonna do this, he didn't say anything. So for him to like, you're on the red carpet, arms around each other, and you're giving me a certain look. Which red carpet was that? Was uh, the that Glad, Glad Awards. That was the Glad Awards. That's what I thought. Okay, because yeah. his movie had already come out. Bears in the City had already come out, right? Yeah, yeah. He had been in a couple of them at that time. They too. were at the time. They were just getting ready because I remember he asked me if I wanted to be in Bear City too. Mm-hmm. They um they were getting the production stuff ready for yeah Bear City too at that time. That's right. That's yeah. right. But, oh yeah, a lot of people were like when they saw that picture, they was like, oh well, you know he's and that must have been that must have been shell shock for him as well because I do remember them that coming out in the press because everyone took it and ran with it because he had had a couple of guest starring roles in some big shows at that yeah. point yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but people ran with it because there was a press there was a press surge after that as well when you were like okay so you came out now you're dating an actor yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now yeah, yeah. he and then he's a gay actor <laughs> so like he, there was definitely a surge after that because yeah. i remember that i yeah. did that was definitely a queer t headline and <laughs> there was somewhere they love yeah. your thirst traps child they still put you up there all the I time I all the people, time people always send me stuff uh <laughs> from from them and i'm like wow like it's it's, it's flattering it's it very it is you know so i don't hey i do anything for my community I'm, I'm, I will say this. I am one and I will speak for all of the gays. We don't mind a good thirst trap where we are completely okay. And I'm sure that all the gays will thank me and I will get messages and tweets <laughs> that will say, 
I'll speak for the gays. We're good. With, we're good with the thirst traps. That's all that matters. Please keep them up. Keep them up. <laughs> when you so all of this is happening, you become an overnight thrust into that gay spotlight. And trust me, I've been in. I've been there. Mine are a little different. Mine was, you know, calling Wendy Williams out for her transphobic comments <laughs> uh, with Bruce Jenner when Bruce was transitioning. So I know what that that love is like. Sure. Was there ever a time where it wasn't so good for you like where you were like man these gay people getting on my motherfucking nerves <laughs> uh <laughs> no nah, i was just a little bit of i know the, the black gay community was definitely um you know and i have a lot of black let me let me ask you let me stop you right there what did black twitter have to say when they were like oh my god he is dating the the, the, the whitest of white guys yeah, when uh, they had comments for sure, they did, and and it's and it's very shocking because to me, I mean, Gerald's very handsome to me. Um, yeah, he's definitely so handsome. Me, guy. You know, he was that he had the image of like your, your typical like silver fox look, and you know, but at the time, I didn't grasp what they were talking about. They were like, "Oh yeah, you know, Derek did the same thing as Wade Davis, Michael Sam, and Jason Collins," and they literally had a picture of all of us side by side we all was with someone who was white so they kind of like like what is this thing of why when black guys come out there with somebody white and you know my response always to that is there is it's just a preference it's not like oh my gosh like get away from it. it's just i always look at it honestly is what turns you on sure. you know to be blunt and honest and you know my attraction to what i like it doesn't dictate or say anything about the type of person that I am. Well, let's have this conversation because I want to have this conversation. It was something I was going to bring up later because there is objectivity that comes along with being attractive uh, in whatever way, shape or form, especially in our community. And I know that there, you know, I don't know. It's interesting because like, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to just date somebody black because because you're black? Yeah. That's yeah. not fair at all. That's what I wasn't going to do. If it was, if that was the case, I'm all for it. But that's, sure. that just wasn't what it was for me. You know, it, this all started my attraction, like I told you, in elementary school. So in a way, I was already set in my ways as far as what I like, especially when I kept seeing, you know, the... David Beckham's of the world, the Hugh Jackman's, the Robert Downey Jr.'s. Like, it was just like, wow, like, this is what I'm attracted to. Don't get me wrong. If I see, uh, uh, what is this, Idris Elba, he's attractive, but he doesn't do anything for me. Michael B. Jordan's attractive, but he doesn't do anything for me. So I'm always going to give credit where it's due because someone's attractive. But I just feel like, I think now it's kind of died down. I think people just stopped caring. But, yeah, I just told myself, yeah, I'm already out. There's no way I'm going to just date a certain group just because of to make other people happy. This is why I love doing my podcast, because I love having these conversations with my guests, because they're conversations we don't get to have that often. And, and right. truth, truthfully, because you have a type, would you say? Yeah, yeah for sure. Big time. Yeah. And I just named to some people. So I mean, people, people can say, yeah, the, the I mean, I don't, I don't, it's definitely, it's a lot more than just the looks, but 
like I said, that first reaction. If you were only dating somebody for looks, I would climb through this computer and I'd smack you across the face. Yeah, it's, it's, because it's, you're course. too good of a guy. You're too good of a guy. You and you're and you always have been just incredibly sweet. And and I think that that was part of the allure for me personally. And I just and I've always reached out to you since then. I've yeah, just always yeah. celebrated your success. And I wanted to. And you took time off from basketball. I know that. And you tried to go back what made you take that time off and what made you want to go back at that point and why um you know so i was actually in acting um and you I was were getting you ready were. for my first lead role movie this was before the pandemic hit and you know i was with my partner at the time oh before I even jump over that, you asked me. No, I do have a Pacific type, so older white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I got distracted myself. <laughs> yes. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. older guy. Anybody who knows me, like, <laughs> knows sure. that I have a certain type. And um, hey, you know, it's just I have black friends who likes bears, and then people don't know what bears are. You know, heavy set sure. guys. Sure. You know, so it's it's. That's one of the things I would love about our communities that is not everyone likes the same thing. Sure. Everyone is different. Like it's, I'm sure it's white guys who they look at me and they're not attracted to me. Which sure. sure. Everyone is different. Everyone likes what they're like, what they like. You're supposed to stick with what you know, and you're supposed to stick with what looks mm-hmm. like you. And I can give a giant middle finger to all that because it's the why 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 do we need to why do you think that people look at it look at it like that and are like and think that or try to get us to stick to that because i don't understand it not everywhere is like that because i live it's sure not but (laughs) there are people that it wasn't like that in san francisco sure wasn't honestly in san francisco it's much more like Hey, like if you're like, for instance, if I walked into the Eagle or something somewhere in San Fran, like it's, it, it doesn't come across when I'm looking around is this group, that group. Now you go to the Abbey, um, high tops, whatever. Still to this day, it's very, it's very much like that. But now I'm more like, I don't worry about that stuff. Sure. But you can definitely tell that. Or for instance, like, you know, I see a group of guys and it's all guys where every last one of them is in shape. I'm sure. sure. There's not like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, you know, diverse black, Asian, whatever is I've I've seen it, but it's not as often. And I don't know why it is like that here in L.A., I guess because the whole glitz and glam when it comes to L.A., maybe or you got to people have this whole thing with you got to be in shape or you got to look a certain way. You got to wear these Prada shoes when you go out rather than when I was in San Fran, T-shirt, jeans and some shoes. And I'm going out. Yeah, I wasn't worrying about all of that. When you come here. All right. What am I wearing? Even now, I don't do that. Like I still don't get wrong. I dress nice. I do. But I'm not thinking about that. Like, oh, yeah, I got to make sure I. Because I want these people to like, it's crazy that mm. it's like that here. I don't mm. know if it's like that anywhere else outside of L.A., but in San Francisco, it's completely the opposite. Yeah, we put so much pressure on ourselves as gay men. And, and, like, and for, and for what? 
And for what? Why? Uh, so many years club promoting. Oh, oh I thought it, it took it took me so long to walk out of my house. And I was like, right. why? Yeah. Why? I don't yeah. I could like when I really go back and I I think about it, you know, my friends used to say, Oh, you do really well out because you're just such a nice person. And I was like, right. all right, that's cool to an extent, but I also want to do well because people actually like me <laughs> you know like yeah but you did you ever find a time where you were a little turned off by the gay community uh as far as how people treat each other yes correct um, yes. When it comes to that's what how, i that's what i meant by that yeah. yeah definitely when it comes to how like i said the black community was so caught up worrying about what i like when it comes to and when people used to say, yeah, you know, my friends used to tell me how white guys will reach out to them on the apps, but see them in person and act like they don't exist. That's a problem to me because it's like, I guess, because they don't want to be seen because their other friends are going to. It's just like stuff like that. It's almost like. I, really? Like, yeah. that's what it comes to. Like, I then like. You can talk to somebody, you can send pictures, this and that on online. But when it comes to seeing that person out and about, you act like you don't know the person. Yeah, that, that's what I, I haven't like. I personally haven't experienced that, but I've heard stories and um, I don't know if it's like that now. But like I said, even going out here, don't get me wrong. I love to dress nice, but I'm not thinking about it like how I used to when I first came here. Sure. As far as this and that, like no, like I'm you either gonna like me for how I look, no matter what I'm wearing. Like oh, I'm not wearing an All Saints T-shirt or something like that. Like oh, don't sure. like it's just it's crazy that it's yeah. But I get it. It's L.A., especially when it comes to the pool parties. I get it. You know, people want to dress nice for that too. I get it. It's it's I'm I'm gonna say this because I don't want people to like overthink it. I don't judge people who love that stuff because I just said I love dressing up and sure. dressing nice, but I'm not going to overthink it to get a certain crowd or a certain group of people to like me. That mm-hmm. makes sense. It, it sure does. And I think it's even the way that we you know, I'm sure there was times when you first came out, we were like, oh, I got to look right. You know, I got my body's oh, yeah. got to be on point. I got to yeah, I got to look yeah. OK. And and we all know we've seen the pictures, Derek. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we man, know we you work out on your fitness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's something that you did. But you're do, but was, but you're not doing it. And we've talked about this before. You're not doing it because you need you're trying to impress anybody. You're doing uh, it because you I like the way, you like to look good. Right. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's. it's you know, is is a way of life. Is honestly, fitness is great for your health overall. Sure, you know, it's not. It's not about going in there and lifting tons of weight. No, you can go in there and just honestly ride the stationary bike, walk on a treadmill, do something to the point where you're getting your heart rate up. It's just a way of is a healthy way of living. That's how I look at it. Of course, the perks that come with it look good, feel good, whatever. But I'm definitely not doing it to. Uh, you know, please a certain group of no. I just I love working out. You know, even people used to think I was doing it just because I played basketball, and it's like no. Like even when I stopped playing, I was even in better shape when I started. So no, it's, it's just a way of life for me. When you went back 
to play basketball? What made you decide to go back? Uh, yeah, so I was acting at that time, literally getting ready for my first lead role movie, and it was going to be shot in Florida, and the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, I'm sure as you know, and I'm sure a lot of people know, it kind of messed things up. It pushed a lot of things back. The timetable, I there was no timetable as far as when I thought filming was going to resume. Um, and they, the late, the earliest, I said, I'm going to have to wait a year. So, and I didn't want to do that. So, and lo and behold, it was a basketball agency, uh, Washington agency, who is actually number one, number two sporting agency in the whole world, actually. They reached out to me on Instagram and they knew my story and they was just curious as to like, why did I stop playing? And, you know, I said, oh, you know, I didn't make it to the NBA, whatever. And they said, oh, well, have you thought about playing in Europe? And I said, no, nah, I didn't really give too much of it. And so they came over to my place and they pitched me the Europe idea and I fell in love immediately. And I was like, wow, if I didn't know about this fresh out of college, I would have went to Europe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this was after not playing in three years. So look at it this way. When I found out about the acting stuff, it was around April, um, beginning of April, probably around the middle of April, the basketball agency reached out to me. They pitched me. I decided to start playing in May, trained May, June, July, August, and went to Europe in September. And this is after not playing in three years. When I tell you, it was like I was winded, like just going from (laughs) just trying to get back in basketball shape. Because people like basketball shape and working out shape is two different things. You know, it's much more cardio when it comes to basketball. Um, But I went to Cyprus. That was my first stop in Cyprus. Um, had a blast over there. It was a lot of fun. Um, it's not as gay as I would like for me to want to visit. Um, I didn't see any rainbow flags or anything. If people are gay, they're on the apps. Let's just say mm-hmm. that. Um, and then this past year, I was in Germany, which is probably the best experience of them all. And um, had a blast over there. My teammates were even asking me, like, what kind of guys do I like in the snap? Which that was the first ever for any teammate of mine to like ask me or be curious. And this was coming from German, my German teammates. And that just made me like, wow, like it's, it made me feel that much more comfortable, you know, when I was there. So. So when you were playing, what was, did your injury happen when you were playing? And is that why you stopped or no? Um, I got hurt during the season. Yes. Uh, I tore my hamstring and I had a tibia fracture in my knee. So basically, like long story short, basically I hyperextended my knee, my left knee, and basically went the other direction your knee is not supposed to go into. Mm-hmm. So that happened during a game. And I remember being in pain and yelling, and it's a home game, so the arena is silent. And all you hear is me just yelling. And, you know, the paramedics that came out to them for the trainers, they had to carry me off. So I went up to in the training room. And I couldn't bend my legs. So I'm thinking I tore my ACL or something. Mm-hmm. Did took the, Got the results and everything. They were surprised. So I was out for about five months. Had to wear a straight cast. Only could take it off the shower. Lost so much muscle mass in my leg. Mm-hmm. So the cast went off after three months, two months of rehab. I was able to finish the season. When I got back in May, this past May, what led to me – ultimately retiring that was one of the reasons 
And two, it was more, you know, I felt that I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish as far as being openly gay and playing professional basketball. It may not be in the NBA, but playing in Europe professional is a big deal, especially at a high level. Um, you know, so I looked at it as, you know what? And I was getting older. I'm 30. When I was 21, 22 years old, it was a little different for me. Mm. Um, I had much more energy and wanted, wanted to go. Now it's kind of a point where it's like, uh, if I played basketball, I'll just play like, you know, there's a gay league that they have. I'll play in that where it's more just for fun and not like serious. You know what I mean? So and I wanted to do something else, which I'm actually excited about. I have two exciting projects that I didn't announce yet that I'm doing and also my book that I have coming out. So, so are you think do you think you're done with basketball or is that something that you can't talk about? <laughs> Uh, no, I retired in June. I made it public um, either June, July. I can't remember. I made it public on my social media and everything that I retired. And um, it's funny, a couple of days I thought about going back. But the more I thought about it, I just said, you know, being over there for nine months and knowing a lot of wear and tear on my body and knowing that my knee still bothers me from time to time. I just was like, oh, I can't do it. So, but I did think about it actually literally a couple of days ago because I was on the phone with my agent and I was like, I'm thinking about going back over to Europe. And um, he's like, okay, great. But as soon as I got off the phone with him, I was like, what the hell am I doing? Like, what am right. I doing? Like, no, nah, and then I texted him immediately. I said, yeah, I think I just rushed that. Like, I'm, you know, if you had an offer for me tomorrow, I would not be like up and ready to go because I'm not even mentally ready to go do that again and being over there for nine months and stuff. So, and I'm also excited for the projects I have going on. Like these two projects that I have doing when I do announce them, like it's going to be big. It's definitely going to be big. It's going to be big for our community for one. Um, and just big for me in general as a businessman. So, um, those two things I'm super excited about that. I'm looking forward to announcing. Well, I can't wait to hear about them. And I can't wait to read your book whenever it comes out. Uh, yeah, I just finished with my ghostwriter. So we have publishers who are looking at it now. And um, hopefully sometime early, mid-2023, we're projecting to be the release. But of course, you know, I'll keep you updated with that. But that's everything that's in that book is literally things that you would not be able to read or find. Like not even my parents know. Just things that I went through while being in the closet and just, you know, for me, I just want to share my stories and how I was able to overcome everything. Well, I'm sure that people look forward to reading and hearing more about you. I think your story is in, in, incredibly compelling. Um, and I think <laughs> that there is a lot to be said about uh, your bravery at a time where it was still being figured out, you know, and I think um, you have uh you're a smart guy, and I think you have a lot to look forward to in your life. Um, just keep doing what you're doing. I wanna, I wanna do something fun that I always try to like finish on doing something fun. And what we're doing, it's called Woody's Roundup, and it's so it's just a bunch of like fun topics. I'm gonna throw them out, and I want to see uh, what your answers are. Okay. Uh huh. Sure. Okay. Just go with me here. Okay. Of course. All right. Favorite TV show? Uh, that '70s show. Oh, okay. This is, that's a surprise one. I didn't expect you to say that. Yeah. All right. Favorite movie? Uh, favorite movie? Don't be shy. 
Mine's Clue. But mine is the tie. Mine's the original Clue, which you probably have never seen. I haven't. Okay. I'm, you and I are going to have date night sometime, and I'm going to show you Clue. It's probably one of my favorite movies. Favorite? Uh, probably the uh, the Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Okay. First all right. That, first okay. One. Well, the first one was great. Yeah. They all they kind of went left after the second yeah. one. Um, okay. Uh, pet peeve. Pet peeve. Yeah, like something that gets on your nerves. Like my pet peeve is people that you don't use their blinkers. Um, and people this is a weird one. People that put the toilet paper under, so you have to pull it down. I like mine over, so you pull it down over the roll. <laughs> it's the weirdest uh, thing, but it drives oh, me. Oh, so something like to that degree? Yeah, like something that you just like find that. annoying. No, you uh, don't. Nah, I'm I'm easy. I'm easy. Okay. All right. That's that's good to know. Um, celebrity crush. Oh, that's easy. Uh, David Beckham. Okay. Um, if you're like a dream duet, so basically, like you know, one of one of my biggest things. I'm a huge Mariah Carey fan, and I'm like, oh, I want Mariah Carey to do a full duets album with like other singers, right? Which I think would be amazing. So, what would be your dream duet? As far as in the music industry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Two people team up. Little Nas X and Lil Baby. Okay, that's a good one. That would actually be really good. Yeah. Yeah, I think Little Nas X should do a song with Cardi B. Yeah. I think it would be a huge hit. He's making be. hits regardless, so yeah. I know. That boy, he knows what he's doing. He's not stupid. Yeah. Um. Let's talk a little bit about this Antonio Brown situation because I wanted to ask you which one. Well, there's <laughs> many. Uh, obviously, you know, he has been dogging my boy Brady a little bit. And now I'll, I'll just say this listen, I supported Antonio Brown when he wanted to come back. Brady had his back, Brady got him a job, got him that ring. You know, like, and now he has been posting horrible things, you know, dogging yeah. about this supposed alleged divorce. Um, and then he, you know, this video went viral of him shoving his butt in women's faces yeah, yeah, yeah. and I've just, just horrible, horrible stuff. But I wondered, like, if you can speak to maybe knowing that, you know, the being the athlete and the mental challenge of that has somehow had an effect on him in some way. Like, I don't know. Like, it's so interesting to me because he went from like being the, it, uh, one of the it guys in the NFL. So now where everyone looks at him, like he's just a fucking joke. Yeah. I mean, for, I first came across him, of course, when he was on the Steelers. Yeah. And you know how everybody was talking, how he's one of the best wide receivers and he's so short, but he's so good, this and that. And, you know, I think, and I could be wrong, but it could be a, a thing of, you know, maybe he's not the same person that he was as far as on the field and he's not getting that much of attention or the contract deals that he was getting before. Maybe it could just be it, it could be a lot of things. Like I said, you know, I'm, I'm no one to speak for what someone is going going through, but. A lot of those things could play a part, but like, yeah, of course, I stay away from the news, honestly. So only time I see these things is if someone happens to post it on Instagram or something like that. Um, yeah, it's maybe yeah, it's just something that he's mentally going through and that, 
you know, because I used to be a huge fan of his, you know, but, you know, I don't condone anything negative that someone is doing. I just don't condone because I'm so I'm such a positive person sure. and I don't associate myself with anyone who is negative. But, um, yeah, it kind of like, yeah, it kind of like went from being up here and to just spiraling down. But I hope he bounces back in, w- in whatever they, whatever I, in whatever way that is, whether it's football or something else, you know. Um, boxers or briefs or yeah. boxer briefs, boxers. Boxers. boxers, like loose boxers, not a fitted one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Boxer briefs. Yes. 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 Yeah. yes. Same here. Same here. I don't, I don't briefs. I find very unattractive. No, no, <laughs> I, 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 like, I like everything to be snug. Yeah. Same, yeah, yeah, yeah. same. <laughs> you know, you know, the gays, we got to love, we love our gay underwear to Calvin. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, last but not least, what is what what is like an idea of like a romantic date for you? Uh, oh, so many ideas because I'm extremely passionate um, and romantic. So for me, um, somewhere you know, whatever restaurant, a nice little booth. It can be whether at the person's house or at a restaurant, booth, candlelit dinner, um, maybe some soft music in the background, whatever's mm-hmm. playing, lights dimmed if it's in a house somewhere, um, you know, maybe some rose petals on the table, something like that. Uh, do you cook or no? Yeah, I do, actually. Oh, I love cool. salmon. I love salmon. Salmon, Brussels sprouts, you know, some mashed potatoes, something simple. All right. All right. Um, all right. I'm um, jotting all of that down just for my own personal record. <laughs> uh, thank you, Derek, so much for being here. I really appreciate you. Um, tell the people uh, where they can find you on social media. Uh, so my Instagram is it's Derek Gordon. And my Twitter is flash the number two Gordon. Oh, amazing amazing please everyone go and follow him online and of course uh you can follow me on instagram at woody woodbeck um and the show is what's up woody one uh at twitter and what's underscore up woody on instagram thank you guys again for checking us out and derek will you take us out by saying you've been listening to hey this is derek gordon you've been listening to what's up woody Hey, everyone, this is Derek Gordon. You all been listening to What's Up, Woody? Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. It's always good to see your smile. Always a pleasure. I can't wait to see you again in person. We'll talk soon. You too. Bye, bud. Bye.